Brian McClanahan Show, episode 427. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. We'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. Of course, I've got a new class out right now. If you're at McClanahan Academy, you already know about it, but if you're on my email list, you'll start getting the information about it now as well. So you get it before anybody else does, and you get great deals on it. So it's a win-win for you just to be on that McClanahan Academy email list and, of course, also at brianmcclanahan.com. You can also purchase one of my classes there. That's how I keep this podcast free of charge. So go on over to mcclanahanacademy.com, purchase a class or 10. I've got a lot. And keep this class going, or I'm sorry, keep this podcast, I should say, going free of charge. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Just click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Get your book plate. And one of my books, if you want an autograph on one of those, just buy one of those book plates or buy one of my books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Wherever books are sold, you've got my books. My latest is Southern Scribblings, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. You also can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, share this podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're listening to this show and that you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we grow the audience that's how we get more people interested in these ideas. Okay. Well, this is a, a, a listener-generated episode, and of course, I do welcome you to send me ideas. And this is about court packing. Now, what I'm going to do is read an article that came out from the NPR about it, and there are some Democrats in the House that have decided they want to expand the size of the Supreme Court. And they're using very strange language. I mean, essentially what's happened in the last, I don't know, couple of years, really, as we're looking at it, there's an assault on language in America. I think that's important because when you start thinking about what words mean and the context in which they were used, we have a very strange transformation going on in the United States. For example, uh, the expanding the Supreme Court has now been called infrastructure, Right? Uh, a job or providing uh, these type of soft universal basic income is infrastructure. This is all infrastructure. What does that actually mean? I mean, you're using words that don't mean something to mean something else. This is what the left is getting very good at. And we know this is they're, they're doing it across the board, whether it's on political issues, social issues, cultural issues. They're doing it across the board. They're changing the language of the United States. I mean, 
and we see them doing it in real time because you can go back a year and you can find an article where they said something and then they just a couple months later they change it. So, but they want that old stuff just to go away like they never said it. It's really strange how this is happening. And the internet, of course, is showing all the hypocrisy and stupidity of everything here. But of course, a political class that's not ever held accountable isn't really hypocritical. I mean, they're just there's no accountability, right? So if they say something that is so stupid that you, you, I mean, anyone with a brain would scratch your head and say, what are these people talking about? That's not infrastructure. That's not this. That's not, well, when no one's ever held accountable, they can keep doing it over and over again. And that's the real problem in America right now is that on the left in particular, there's no accountability. People just run around making statements and, uh, oh, well, I mean, uh, that, that has to be true because this is, Particularly some of the Twitter historians and other people, they run around making statements. They have no context. They don't provide any of that. They just say that this is what it is, and so this is what it means. I mean, um, one of the funniest things I've seen is you have the, this little twit from, I, don't, I think he's from Mass. I don't know where he lives. Uh, Kevin Levin, who I call Kevin Levine, it drives him nuts. Kevin Levine. Uh, he put out a, a, a long, a little Twitter thread about Confederate monuments, and of course how some of the people that spoke at these at these uh, dedication ceremonies talked about Anglo-Saxons. We saw this as a big term on on Twitter, you know, that because we had Marjorie Taylor Greens saying she's going to create some kind of Anglo-Saxon pack or something. I don't know, whatever the case may be. So you've got Levin out there, Levine running around saying that you've uh, you've got these uh, Anglo. They're using the term Anglo-Saxon. Well, if you go back and you put that term into, say, a Google book search, and you just look up the term, this was used all over the place all the time in the 19th century. And it was used to define the tradition of America, the Anglo-Saxon tradition of America, which went back to Great Britain. This is how they talked about it. So, I mean, that, that term is used without context. It doesn't mean anything. This is about the assault on language. In the 19th century, people said this stuff all the time, north and south. You could find it all over the place, right? So it has no meaning whatsoever in terms of meaning a English tradition in America. This is what they were establishing. And again, you find it north and south. You find it people are talking about you know, Revolutionary War monuments, uh, Civil War monuments, north and south. It's used more in the south than it is in the north, but certainly you can find it north and south. So this is the thing that, that is so shocking to me about how stupid these people really are. Without context, without seeking to understand, they just pull out and say, oh, here it is. The, the only example you need to show that these people are this and this and this. I mean, the language means nothing. So when we think about that, and then we're going to get into court packing here, and of course, this is all about power. What they're doing with the language is all about power. They're, they're trying to, to create an environment where certain words can't be said or certain things can't be said or certain subjects can't be broke. You can't say these things. You can't do these things. You can't talk about these things unless you talk about it the way we do. It's all about power. It's about them attempting to enforce their will on other people. It's the same thing with the masks and everything else. I was in the a grocery store the other day and... Um, it was a score where, where masks were required. So I had my mask on and I pulled it down for a minute because I had to look at something on my phone and it had to, you know, the face recognition, all that stuff. And a lady comes up behind me and starts berating me because my mask is down and, and, uh, about a foot or two from me. And, um, so, that, I mean, these people are all about power. That's all they want to do. It's about power.
course, I told her to go on. But it's all about power, and it doesn't matter what issue you're talking about. Uh, it's simply just a way to maintain control, and the Supreme Court is all about that. In fact, if you go back to when the court was expanded at, over time, right? we started with a much smaller court, it was expanded out to nine justices, and that's been considered the, the general size of the court and what it should be, about nine justices. It was expanded and contracted. I mean, there, there are some times where you had uh, eight judges, for example, uh, and this was done during Reconstruction. Look, since Reconstruction, it has been I mean, openly all about power. Because when the court wasn't doing what the Republicans wanted and the, the radical Republicans in Congress, they cut the size of the court to keep Andrew Johnson from being able to appoint anyone. And then, of course, when Grant's appointed president, they increased the size back to what it was again. This was by design. And, of course, we know Franklin Roosevelt wanted to do the exact same thing in the 1930s. And now you have a discussion of it because you supposedly have a court that's 6-3, quote-unquote, conservative. But we know it never goes that way, right? And we've had decisions here recently that are 5-4, to four, many of them. And we've got some older justices on the court. Even Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, these guys are getting older. They're going to be replaced. How long will the court stay what it is? It could go back the other way. I mean, these, this is the thing that it all, there's always an ebb and flow in all of this. And so this is why all this stuff is stupid. Now, of course, Biden on April, I think it was April 9th, issued an executive order creating a commission to study the Supreme Court. Why? Because the left is driving them in this direction. The left wants to increase the court to 13 people. They want to put 13 judges on the court because that would give Biden four appointments. And I know if they do this, that would give them a 7-6 to six majority. <laughs> See? it's all. And any American with half a brain, which I know a lot of people that vote don't have that, but any American with half a brain would realize this. I mean, all this stuff, all the promises, all the things are made. There's, there's a wonderful Twitter account. It's Biden voters posting their L's online. It's so funny because, again, it's accountability. The things that were said, the things that people, oh, we're going to get. Biden won't tear gas your kids. And, of course, we've got tear gas being used all over the United States right now. And that's never going to happen. Biden's going to work tirelessly until kids are back in school five days a week. He's out playing golf. Uh, you had Stephen King saying, uh, you know, Biden, we have, finally have a president who doesn't play golf on the weekends. Biden's playing golf. I mean, this is how stupid these people really are. And you, you just can't fix it. You can't fix this kind of stupid. So let me get into the piece from NPR. The title is Democrats Unveil Long Shot Plan to Expand Size Supreme Court from 9 to 13. April 15th by uh, a woman named Calamer in Totenberg. Okay. Liberal congressional Democrats unveiled a proposal Thursday to expand the number of seats on the U.S. Supreme Court from 9 to 13, a move Republicans have blasted as court packing, which has almost no chance of being voted on after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she has no plans to bring it to the floor. Well, that doesn't mean her plans can't change. I mean, certainly they can. But you got the morons. I mean, you look at the photo on this thing. It's the <laughs> You've got Ed Markey up there. You've got Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler, who can't even put a mask on. I mean, these people are ridiculous. The measure, the Judiciary Act of 2021, is being co-sponsored by Jerry Nadler, chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Hank Johnson of Georgia, Mondaire Jones of New York, and Ed Markey of Massachusetts. Then the, the really funny quote from Nadler. We're not packing the Supreme Court, we're unpacking it. 
Nadler said at a news conference in front of the Supreme Court. In a statement, Nadler, a congressman from New York, said the bill would restore balance to the nation's highest court after four years of norm-breaking actions by Republicans led to its current composition. What are the norm-breaking actions? In fact, there aren't any norm-breaking actions that have happened at any time in the last four years. He's talking about, of course, the idea that you had uh, Amy Coney Barrett put on the court um, right at a time when, oh, we got to wait for the election. We got to wait. We got to wait for the election. Got to wait for this. Wait for that. And of course, she was put on the court. Um, that's norm breaking. No, it's not. It's happened many times, as has been pointed out by even Mitch McConnell in a, in a speech. He said, "This is this is nothing. That's norm breaking." What what happened was with Obama. There was another. It was a different situation with Obama. And now we're, we're not in that scenario here. And, of course, historically, there's been other things that have shown this is not norm-breaking what happened. The president has, has the ability and the constitutional responsibility to appoint judges to the Supreme Court when there's vacancies. There was a vacancy, and so they appointed a judge. I mean, this is how it works. At issue is the makeup of the Supreme Court, where conservatives now have a 6-3 majority, but it doesn't always work that way. Democrats and liberal activists say this ensures the high court will strike down almost any legal challenge to the Biden, administration, Biden administration's legislative priorities. No, it doesn't. It doesn't ensure anything. We know that. There's, no in, there, there's nothing that ensures that's going to happen, because we know we've got a couple of swing boats, people that were Kavanaugh, Roberts, They've gone the other way at times. There's no six to three majority. And see, this is where we get in. The, the court has become completely, completely politicized. And that was not supposed to happen. We know it was going. I mean, look, any again, anyone with a brain could see this was going to happen at some point. But the idea of the independency of the judges was talked about by the founding generation over and over again, which is why they set up a situation where you had judges to hold their office during good behavior. And I'll get into that in a minute. Progressive groups remain engaged, enraged, I'm sorry, what they see as Republican manipulation of the Supreme Court nomination process to give former President Donald Trump two appointments to the court. First, by blocking former President Barack Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court for nearly a year, and then by rushing through Amy Coney Barrett's nomination just over a month after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Trump also appointed Brett Kavanaugh following the retirement of, in 2018 of Anthony Kennedy. So here, here's the thing. Again, they blocked the appointment, and this was asked of the, the Republican Congress to do when the Republicans controlled the Congress from a person from a different party. An unprecedented time at the end of two terms in office. And then they put through, but look, this is all, I mean, it is partisan, but this is how this stuff works, Okay. The bill to expand the size of the Supreme Court is hardly a surprise, given that it's the only mechanism to change the court's composition without a constitutional amendment. Congress has changed the number of justices seven times in the course of U.S. history, but the last time was immediately after the Civil War. And again, why did they do it? They did it because they didn't want Andrew Johnson to get appointments. So completely partisan. This is exactly what they're trying to do again. And the... Uh, the naked power grab here is what everybody sees happening. This is why Pelosi's slow walking this, because she knows there's going to be a major political backlash. Some scholars argue the Congress could also pass legislation limiting the number of years a justice could serve. Most proposals are for 15 to 18 years. 
But the Constitution says that Supreme Court justices and other federal judges shall hold their offices during good behavior. And that has long been interpreted to mean they cannot be removed except by impeachment by the House of Representatives and conviction by the Senate. This is exactly right. Congress can't put a term limit on the Supreme Court without a constitutional amendment. You'd have to change the Constitution. So some scholars are arguing out their butts. I mean, this doesn't even, it doesn't even make any sense. right? You have to have an amendment to change the Constitution here if you want to do that. Now, what does good behavior mean? Now, I could actually make a case that the Democrats' complaint, if, if there is a completely partisan push by the court, and what I mean by that, if it was blatantly open that these people are acting in a partisan manner by making partisan, politically partisan statements from the bench, that is an impeachable offense. In fact, the Jeffersonians in 1804 tried to pull it off. And that was the impeachment of Samuel Chase. Samuel Chase was being an, an absolute partisan on the bench. He wasn't letting certain uh, evidence be heard. And he was doing this, of course, riding the circuit. So the Jeffersonians impeached the guy, but he wasn't convicted. Why wasn't he convicted? He wasn't convicted for this particular reason. At that point, it was thought that good behavior did not include blatantly partisan attacks from the bench. So from that point forward, John Marshall and any other Supreme Court judge can do whatever they want on the bench from a partisan nature and they're not going to be punished for it. This is where things have gone wrong. If Chase had actually been impeached and convicted, then we might see a different situation on the Supreme Court right now. Because you do have leftists making political statements. I mean, look, Sotomayor has done it. Ginsburg did it. Anytime they run around saying anything political, you could say, well, that's being blatantly partisan operating from the bench. We know that conservatives do it at times. We know that the bench has become a nine-person political entity. Now, on the other hand, what's the real remedy here? Well, of course, Madison and Jefferson and others pointed out nullification, that the Supreme Court doesn't have to be the final arbiter of everything. The states can do this, too. If you've got Congress passing a blatantly unconstitutional law, the president signing, the Supreme Court upholding it, what... What recourse do you have but in the states? We saw this with Obamacare. What resource, what recourse, what resources do you have? State resources, but recourse do you have? It's in the states. Changing that would seem to require a constitutional amendment, which requires approval by two-thirds of the House and Senate and three-quarters of the states. So the expansion bill requiring only a simple majority of both chambers is an easier way to go. Quote, we are here today because the United States Supreme Court is broken. It is out of balance and it needs to be fixed, Markey said at the news uh, conference. Too many Americans view our highest court in the land as a partisan political institution, not our impartial judicial branch of government. Well, who did that? Really, who did that? Who has been the driving force of making it a partisan political entity? Well, it's been the left. They've done it. Robert Bork wasn't confirmed. Why? Because of partisan politics. That's when all of this stuff really started, the way it's been hyper-politicized in the last 40 years. And even before that, of course, when you get to Roosevelt trying to pack the court, which, of course, the Congress blocked at that point, 
thankfully so. We've seen the court become a hyper-political entity in the last half century. Post-World War II, this is what it's become. It doesn't mean it wasn't hyper-political before that at times, but there was supposedly some type of objectivity going on at points. But the, the, the court is of its nature going to be an outgrowth of politics because of the appointment process. Too many Americans have lost faith in the court as a neutral arbiter of the most important constitutional legal questions that arise in our judicial system. And I'm disappointed to say too many Americans question the court's legitimacy. Well, I wonder why that is. Maybe because Congress should actually debate whether a law is constitutional first before they send it out to the court. Because, it's, I mean, I know the bills well because of this, this, this. I mean, we saw it with H.R. 1. They're trying to come up with some type of constitutional framework to make it legal. But again, they're just relying mostly on court decisions because the court has become hyper-political. There's other ways to do this, and good. I mean, I would say this to this part, good. Too many Americans have lost faith in the court. Court, good. They don't need to have faith in the court. The court's an embarrassment. It's an abomination what we have today compared to the original design of the Constitution. Republicans were scathing in their response to the measure. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky accused Democrats of threatening judicial independence from the steps of the court. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas tweeted that the move would destroy the court. But the bill has a grim future even without GOP opposition. Asked about the proposal at her weekly news conference, Pelosi said, I have no plans to bring it to the floor. The House Speaker added, I support the President's commission to study such a proposal. Now see, here's, the, here's Pelosi acting one way. Well, I have no plans to do this, but we'll see what this commission does. Because I am almost positive the commission is going to come out and recommend some changes to the court. And then she'll say, well, I mean, this is what the commission said, so this is what we're going to do. President Biden signed an executive order last week setting up a bipartisan commission to study reforming the court, and among other things, examining the size of the court and the justices' lifetime appointments. The announcement marked the culmination of a campaign promise Biden made when repeatedly pressed on whether he would expand the Supreme Court to pack it with justices more aligned with his worldview. As a Democratic candidate, Biden said he opposed expanding the court, but said he favored the kind of bipartisan commission his White House has since unveiled. You see, this is all smoke and mirrors. Well, I oppose it, but if my commission comes back and says that we should expand the court, then I'll do it. And Nancy Pelosi, I'm not going to, I have no plans right now to bring it to the floor, but what about a year from now? What about in 2022 if the Democrats get destroyed in the 2022 elections for the House and Senate? And now you've got a situation where they're going to try to ensure that they can maintain their power. Well, then we might bring that to the floor. At that point, when we can get that through, you see, that's the issue. Biden can't do anything about it. The Congress, of course, could. I don't know if this, any of this would make it through the Senate. You'd have a hard time, I, I firmly believe, getting this through the Senate, even with a 50-50 split. I don't think you would get enough Democrats to support it because they know it would be political suicide. It is a blatant power grab. And one of the beautiful things, if you go back and look at the documents over ratification. One of the beautiful things always was that we have a system where we have checks and balances. And if these, if we've got complete unitary party control, which is what the Democrats want, this is why they want H.R. 1, 
which would make it to where you can't have voter ID. Why do they? Why don't they want voter ID laws? Because they want people to cheat. I mean, it's it's clear they want people to cheat. Now, how many people would cheat? I don't know. Would it swing enough elections? I don't know. But it probably would swing enough. It would swing some, right? So they want people to be able to cheat. And they're and again, smoke and mirrors uh, about that whole Georgia Georgia ID bill. It's just ridiculous. Some of the things are being said about it. people aren't even reading the bill. So this is what they want. They want to pack the court. They're not unpacking. They're packing. And it, when Kamala Harris said, well, the Republicans have been packing the court for years. <laughs> because they appointed judges. That's not packing the court. This is what their responsibility is. It's not their fault that all these federal judges were open and Obama didn't fill them all. Even He didn't even try to fill them all. I mean, this is, this is what McConnell said. He left them all there. So we've got... Uh, the Republican Party place. And then, again, doesn't necessarily mean these people are going to rule in ways that Republicans would always support. And I mean, I would, I've said before, if you put all your faith in the Supreme Court, you're going to be disappointed. You've got to find other means to do it, which is think locally, act locally, which is why I talked about the Alabama gun bill last week. And Arkansas had one that was very good as well. But, of course, the governor of Arkansas, I don't want to know if I want to sign that because that could be uh, the supremacy clause might, uh, might work against me. So this is this is what we face. But anyways, this is the bill. This is what's going on. People have asked about it. Court packing, of course, is a disaster. Um, it always has been a disaster. It's something that everyone should oppose. Because what happens when you're not in power? Look, the Democrats get this, and let's say they don't maintain power all these years, and now Republicans come in and they start putting their people on the bench, and. Now they lose. I mean, this is what expanding the powers of the executive branch, getting rid of the filibuster, all these things. What happens when the Democrats aren't in power? This is why they got to have the voting bills to ensure that they could maintain power should they make all these things work so that they would have unitary control of the government. That's what they really want. That's what all this is. That's what American history has long been, a struggle over power in the federal government. Because if you can control that and you can have a top-down system where the states can't retard any of this, they can't slow anything down, they can't block anything, well, what do you have? You have a unitary system. That's not what we have according to the Founders' design. We had a federal republic. They talked about it over and over again. They talked about the state powers and what they could do. They actually used that term, state powers. This is what was said. Okay. So that's my opinion on the court packing scheme by the Democrats. I'll see you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.